Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Liverpool.com podcast. My name is Mo Stewart, your host, and I'm joined once again on a fine, well, not so fine Monday morning, really, by uh, Matt Addison and James Martin. But it is fine because international breaks are over, the real football's come back, and um, the league season's starting to take shape a little bit. We've had a lot of those games between the big teams that you normally get that set the narrative early on in the season. and We've got another one at this weekend. So I thought it was a very good time for us to delve into the kind of mindset around those games. How important do we really think they are across the season in the title shakeup? And also, how should we as Liverpool approach these games with another one on the horizon against Man United? So, okay, James, I'll start with you on this one. Now, the big cliche about these big match six-pointers is that essentially they don't matter because everyone plays everyone twice. But what I say, and I'm sure, is that there is some advantage to be able to take points off your rivals and add to your tally at the same time, whether it's just from a purely points perspective, but also that psychological element, which can be key over the course of a long season. Yeah, I mean, I think from the from the mathematical perspective, as you said at first, like, I mean, it's it's a valid argument to call them a six-pointer in the sense that it's the only chance that comes around where you can ensure you get three points and ensure that one of your main title rivals gets no points. So the swing is there. Like, it's, it's bigger than when you're both playing, you know, a, a Burnley or a Palace or basically anyone outside the top six. I don't know why I picked those two, but, you know, you get the idea. Um so yeah, there's there's definitely a bigger advantage to winning these games. Um, and as you say, that's even before you touch on that kind of psychological element, which is bound to play a part. I mean, mm-hmm. when you look at last season, um, not so much, but the season before in particular, there was the uh, the Liverpool City game, wasn't there? Um, sort of just coming up to coming up to Christmas time, and then it was I think it was a five point gap became an eight point gap or something like that, and um, mm-hmm. and that just felt not unassailable, but it felt like a, a watershed moment, really. And, and Liverpool didn't look back from there. City had some struggles. And then by the time we hit the new year, it was game over. So that's an extreme example. But yeah, winning against a, a title rival can can have big impacts in that kind of mental side of the game, no doubt about it. I mean, you call it an extreme example. I do think it's a game that everybody remembers as being pivotal in that season. And it really helped a lot of people convince themselves, well, convince themselves that Liverpool could really go about it. But I want to come back to something you said earlier as well, regarding the idea it's the only time you can guarantee your opponents drop points. Because, Matt, one of the things I think we're going to see with this season, and we have seen over the recent past, is that... Liverpool, Man City in particular, and I think you can now add Chelsea to this, have the ability to be remarkably consistent and grind out wins after wins after wins, even in situations against some of the smaller teams where you maybe think they're shorthanded or there's a team who maybe has a bit of a chance, but they just always find a way. So when you've got teams who can be so consistent, it seems it's almost as if the only teams who can cause them problems are the other big ones. Yeah, I suppose that that's certainly the argument, isn't it? I think you know the the past weekend of results probably would would match up with that. I know we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about Manchester United and, and what happened to them a little bit later on, but you'd look at obviously 
Liverpool going first and, and winning and blowing away Watford and, and doing what they did. But then off the back of that, almost as soon as that had finished, Manchester City went a goal ahead against Burnley and you kind of knew how that one was going to finish. It was only really a surprise that it finished 2-0 rather than 5 like it normally does. But obviously that happens. And then Brentford, you're thinking um, there's, there's possibly a chance that, that Chelsea could slip up there. Liverpool have already done that themselves. But Chelsea, you know, didn't didn't play amazingly well, but they kind of grind out a result again. I think that's probably a word we're going to use fairly frequently on the podcast of grinding out these games and, and making sure that, that you win. And I think that's that's something that, that Chelsea certainly have got. City and, and Liverpool, we know from previous seasons, have, have got that. So I think you're right in the sense that it is it is the opportunity to take points off your rivals. I think for me, the default whenever Liverpool play another team in the top four or another team in title contention is... First and foremost, Liverpool don't lose. That has to be, mm. you know, the, the first priority. But if there is an opportunity to go and, and win it, then then go and do that. Because I suppose that the obvious example would be Chelsea earlier this season. Obviously, it finishes one each. Liverpool maybe think that they should win it because it's against ten men. But I don't know. I came away thinking Chelsea were very very good in the first half. Obviously, yeah. go down to ten men. Mm. That point's not the worst result. So I think for me that the default is usually don't lose. But if you can win, try and win. It's it's interesting that part though, isn't it? Because particularly when you think about traditionally the onus is on the home team. If you can win your games at home, it feels very similar to what we say about the Champions League group stage. If you win your games at home and then everything else can kind of take care of itself. But the way the last couple of seasons, particularly the COVID effective seasons we've had, it's kind of seen that shift a little bit. I mean, if you look, we're going to call it a top four table rather than a top six table because I think most people have agreed that below that, it's still a little bit up in the air. And I mean, as we'll come on to, the four is kind of a little bit generous. But when we're looking at the top four results, the, t- the results between last season's Champions League place players, Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea all had identical records in the top four head-to-heads. Two away wins, two home defeats and two draws. Which is surprising because normally you'd think the wins come at home. But for all three of them, they were more vulnerable at home than they were away from home. For Manchester United, one of those away wins was actually a draw. But then if you think about the games themselves, James, there wasn't a massive amount in between them in a lot of the games. I mean, even Liverpool's bad beating against Manchester City was a 1-1 by on the hour mark. So you look at that and you think maybe there isn't so much in the games between them. Maybe it's beating the other 16 teams regularly and reliably that actually matters more. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think in times gone by, that was definitely how you won the titles. You beat the other 16 and then you'd, you'd win. You could probably lose all of your head-to-head against the top four and you could still get the title. But the, the bar has moved, not necessarily for the better in terms of the health of the game, in the sense that you do just have these kind of block of four to maybe six financially dominant teams. And that has allowed them to, to build these squads that realistically, if they're managed well, should be winning most weeks against against the size lower down. That's just the reality now. Um, and we've seen that in the last few seasons bearing out, really. You look at Liverpool in 2018-19, uh, where you know you got post-97 points or whatever it was and not win the league. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, there's, there's a new level of dominance in that respect. And... Yeah, that does place more importance on the intra-top four games. It's almost like 
the Super League within the Premier League. Like it, it kind of exists to some extent already because, <laughs> yeah, don't tell anyone. Uh, but, but yeah, though, it does mean you just have to win those games because, I mean, United's a bit different because, you know, you look at Solskjaer, you think, is he up to that level? Could could they have spent their money better to to bring in an elite manager to manage the talents they have? And so maybe they'll be slipping up a little bit more often. But but yeah, you've got to assume now that the other title rivals will be winning week in, week out. And that means when they come to town or when you go to them, there's increased importance on a result if you want to win the title. That's just how it is now, I think. Manchester United are a really weird case within this as well because they seem to be doing better at those bigger games than they do against so many other teams. We've seen many times they've beaten Manchester City probably more than anyone else in the last 18 months or so. Uh, and yet they've struggled against many, many teams who they would believe are below them. So it's almost as if when you're trying to put together a title team, you have the consistency to put away the teams you should put away, but the higher league quality to match the high teams. You need to have both of those elements, Matt, I think, if you want to be a real contender. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's it's just consistency in terms of the level of performance. It's the type of performance as well. I think if you look certainly at Liverpool and Manchester City, and to a massive extent, I would say as well, Chelsea as well, the way that they are set up is to dominate against the lesser teams. It is very much a case of keeping the possession, keeping the ball, being intense, winning it back quickly. I think with Manchester United, it's been said plenty of times, but they are set up maybe better to come up against a Manchester City where they have a bit less of the ball and they can counter-attack them. I think when when they struggle, it, it tends to be quite often at home against a low block and, and Liverpool have been there themselves mm. in the past. But they've kind of evolved past that and, and found ways around that. And I think that's what it comes down to for me is obviously the, the manager to a large extent dictates you know the, the style of play, the way that they attack. I think with the, the, the other three teams who I think are consistently and, and considerably ahead of Manchester United in terms of a title race. It is a much more refined system. It's a much more kind of tactically dominant way of playing. It's much more sophisticated in terms of the patterns of play. I mean, you only have to, to look at the last two goals that, that Mohamed Salah has scored. They're both very similar goals. They both come down to huge moments of individual brilliance and individual quality. But there's also a lot of movements in there which Liverpool will practice and you know, it, it's not just those goals. I mean, the, the assists that he's given as well for, for Sadio Mane, it's it's very clear that there's a pattern of play, there's a style that they go to. And you know that if Mohamed Salah does something that you've trained all week against Watford, against mm -hmm. Crystal Palace, all of these teams, it's going to, to eventually work. It's it's not just reliant on a moment from Cristiano Ronaldo or, you know, Jaden Sancho to do something or Marcus Rashford to, to score from a, a tight angle or whatever it might be. It's it's a lot more sophisticated than that. So I think that's that's where the consistency comes from, is that there's a clear game plan that is worked towards every single week, which is fundamentally geared towards being dominant, taking chances, having the moments of individual quality, but not reliant on those to, to be able mm. to get those goals to win you the game. Well, first of all, I have to thank you for breaking through our legal obligation to mention that Mohamed Salah is literally the best player on the planet right now, as it is with every bit of content we do. He is the best. You know it. Go and get that big golden ball, mode. But you're right. Let's let's kind of dive into the tactics, because that's really where the difference lies in it. And that's maybe where you can see some slight difference in approach between particularly the big three managers. Because... James, when it comes to these big games, I say that they're big things. They are always hyped up to death. 
chances are, more often than not, they aren't the best games of football. Because, as Matt said, these are all teams who are used to having the ball. So, to a certain extent, it can be a little bit like the irresistible force against the immovable object. No one necessarily wants to yield. But at the same time, both of teams, or all teams in this situation, do end up kind of maybe shaving some of their attacking edges, making sure that they are hard to beat. And so then it ends up being a game that's decided by, as Matt said, a moment of brilliance, sometimes a mistake, or sometimes not decided at all. With all what we've said about how good these teams are and how the away teams have had advantages in recent times, is this still the most sensible way to approach these games, do you think? Yeah, I think so. It's... I mean, it's tricky. These guys know what they're doing much more than we do, don't they? So, um, I, I mean, I'm not going to come on here and say, you know, Pep Guardiola, Jürgen Klopp, Thomas Tuchel, they're all approaching these games totally wrong. They should do it how I think. Um, but yeah, the instinct as a fan is to think, you know, play your own game. It's so it's so much easier said than done when you're up against another elite opposition. But I think we have sort of seen that in, in Liverpool City games in recent times. Um, you do have that kind of element of fear to some extent from Guardiola, I suppose. But they have been quite high quality games. You look at, I mean, you look at the most recent one, the two all that was, was, there was sort of the handbrake was on where they were feeling each other out. And then, then it kind of turned into this contest of these two teams just trying to play their best football. And the result was very entertaining. And it was, it was, it could easily have led to, led to a win for either of the teams at the end of the day. Um, so, yeah, I suppose it's just different ways of getting the same end result. Like you can cancel each other out by going defensively or you can cancel each other out by both showcasing why you're such good elite attacking teams. But I suppose I suppose if if you know push comes to shove it might not make too much difference. Like the mm-hmm. the quality out there and in terms of the coaching as well as the players, uh, however they want to set up, there's a high possibility that it's going to it's going to either cancel out or, as Matt said, come down to some kind of moment of brilliance, which in, in those kind of top four games, you're going to have to accept that you rely on them a bit more than than you'd want to be relying on them against the rest of the 16. Like, yeah, again, it's when, when you're trying to get repeatable results, you don't want to rely on them. But for these kind of one-off or, you know, rare games, yeah, sometimes the best players decide them. That's That's the way it goes. So, yeah, it's... There's no no one's getting anything glaringly wrong tactically in the top four. That's not going to come as a surprise. But, um, but yeah, there's, there's different ways of approaching it. You say it's more of a, a fan's way of looking at it. But I have seen quite a few column inches regarding whoever loses his match, particularly within the Chelsea Man City bracket. I mean, obviously, after the Champions League final, there's a lot of talk of the fact that Pep Guardiola didn't go for it, quote-unquote, in the way that they should. And um, Chelsea at home against Manchester City earlier this season had exactly the same criticisms level at them. They weren't uh, progressive enough. But again, as we've said, these are all fantastic teams with amazing attacking and defensive systems. So sometimes you have to tip your hat and say, okay, this other team played very well. But Matt, I think it is noticeable that, as James mentioned, when Liverpool and City play, yes, it's cagey, yes, it's tactical but the game will always break out. These are two teams that are almost uh, bound to find a way to play attacking football at some point. Whereas with Tuchel's Chelsea, it's not quite there yet. Now, 
Obviously, Klopp and Guardiola have been in situ a lot longer than Tuchel. He's just getting into his first full season now. Do you think that's something we'll see progress from him over the course of his Chelsea career? Or do you think he's just naturally that kind of guy who's going to be a bit more of a Tyson than the other two? I think it will develop, to be honest. I just think they've got too many good players not to, to sort of make the most of them at some point. I think we will see that that happen. It's it's more a question for me of whether they can get to the same level as what as what Liverpool and City have with, with Klopp and, and Guardiola. I think they will they'll get very close to it at the very least. Um just because of you look at someone like Kai Havertz, which I absolutely absolutely love watching him play. He's, he's far too good not to, you know, in a couple of years' time be part of a team which plays in a, a similar sort of, of way to, to what Liverpool and City do. Even, you know, other players that, that you'd look at as maybe I mean, Romelu Lukaku, for example, is is not maybe one that would fit in with with what Klopp or, or Guardiola would do perfectly. But I think there's a way in which Thomas Tuchel can kind of create a a system in which that works. Havertz works. They've got other players to to bring in there as well. Even someone like Timo Werner, who's maybe not been not been brilliant so far. I think there's there's a world in which they can find a way of of getting a bit more consistency out of him. So. Yeah, for me, they they will do that eventually. I don't think they're a million miles off at the mm. moment, to be honest with you. I think you know, defensively, they are very, very good. But, you know, going forward, when you've got that many good players, that many different options to pick from, you know, someone like Christian Pulisic, again, is is brilliant, but hardly ever see him. Uh, Hakim mm. Ziyech is, is brilliant, but again, you you hardly ever see him play. I just think there's there's a way, even if it's an accident, I think, you know, at some point when you've got that many good players, at the very least, you're going to stumble across a way in which it kind of all fits together and, and works. And I'd be surprised if, if Chelsea didn't go down that route eventually by luck, by judgment, otherwise, whatever. I think it, I mean, it, I mean, it will happen. Tuchel has not shown any retirements to roll the dice when it turns to picking his team. We've seen so many of them come in and the majority of them come in and make an impact. So that's definitely something he's got up his sleeve. But, I mean, Jane, sometimes that can be a problem as well, can't it, if you've got too many options? Uh, we've seen, again, Guardiola has been accused of sometimes being too clever for his own good and trying something at the wrong time. Do you find that that's maybe sometimes the uh, psychological battle between the managers beginning with him? Or do you, does he think, well, look, I've got all of these different great weapons. Let me see if I can move a few of them around and find the right, the right recipe. Yeah, it's a balance. Um, there's definitely an element of trying to hit upon the right team, particularly in the earlier stages. So as Matt was saying, maybe Tuchel's not been there long enough to quite know what his best eleven is yet, even now, um, especially with Lukaku coming in in the summer of changing the dynamic. So he's now basically guaranteed to be the focal point. You can't really play him anywhere else. So that changes the equation in terms of where you play Havertz, where you play Werner etc etc and if you're shifting them wide there's questions about Pulisic and other ones so yeah it's it's tricky and that does require some experimentation but I do think eventually you do want a settled team um you look at I suppose the archetypal example would be the Leicester title winning season uh, under the tinker man no less but he sort <laughs> of he uh, he reined in those instincts didn't he Ranieri and ended up I think playing the same the same team 13 times or something in that season, which is not quite unprecedented, but it, it's rare to have the exact same starting 11 play that much. Mm. Um, obviously, there's some luck involved. You have to have a strong squad in case there's injuries, suspensions. You need to be able to bring in quality from the bench and from the rest of the squad. But in terms of knowing your best team, I do think 
even if it's potentially a bit cliche, it remains an important part of being a good team. Uh, you just everyone knows what the others will do. It's it's hard to put a, a price on how important that is. So you look at kind of Salah, Firmino, Mane, the the understanding they built up over basically four or five seasons of playing together every week, and that's Liverpool to reap the rewards of that. Um, Equally, when one of them isn't firing, it's useful that there's now people like Jota who can be called upon. But in terms of having that, this is the this is the strongest team. Yeah, I, I think still that is the ideal for any manager. I mean, when you've got that base, that's what allows you the platform to then kind of freestyle with some of the other positions, isn't it, really? Uh, it's interesting you mentioned Leicester as well, because the thing about that Leicester season is, is that there was a big defeat. I think it was Arsenal at home. They lost 5-2. And it was after that game, Ranieri changed the system. He said, OK, this is not working. We're going to move you there. We're going to move you there. And then they found it. And that was the c- catalyst. And a year later... Antonio Conte did exactly the same thing for Chelsea when he changed to three at the back after being playing against Liverpool and Arsenal and getting beat at home by both of them back to back. They said, again, this is not working. So sometimes when you are moving things around, you can accidentally find the the magic formula in there. So we'll have to wait and see if that happens to Tuchel. Now, another element to all these big games, particularly, as I mentioned before, regarding the away winners, is there was no crowds. Now there are crowds. And I think this is going to make a big difference personally, Matt. I know that from a Liverpool perspective, we couldn't quite shout the ball into the net against Chelsea with 10 men or against Manchester City one more time. But it is going to make a difference, isn't it? Having the fans back, particularly in these big games, there's going to be a rivalrous atmosphere. I mean, Liverpool going to Manchester United at the weekend is the perfect example, really, isn't it? Liverpool did a really good job on them late the end of last season in that MTL Trafford. I think most of us want to believe that we can go in there and do it again. That our team's as good and theirs is arguably worse if you look at current form. But it's not going to be easy, is it? No, it's not. No, it's certainly not going to be easy. I think uh, Liverpool's team is is significantly better now than, than what it was then. If you look at the centre-backs alone, they are very different. Yeah. Obviously, Manchester United have, have got better and, and improved, but I think they've got one or two players that are missing as well. But you are right that you know the the fans the fans will change things. I think we saw we saw that plenty of times for, for Liverpool the the six home games where they got beat that doesn't happen. The Manchester City four one that doesn't happen. You know if if Liverpool equalise in that game, you know there's no way that that City go on and, and win it by even two goals. Forget three, they might go and get get one and and you know. They've played in in difficult circumstances in in Europe and, and done well in the past, but I just don't think that that something like that would would ever happen. So, yeah, the the fans will change will change things, no doubt about that. And I think I think you're right as well in that it will be in the bigger games in which that happens. I think obviously that six game unbeaten run there was you know Fulham and Burnley and, and teams like that in there as well. But I think the centre backs played a lot into to that kind of thing as well. I think, you know, if, if you add Van Dijk into to all of those games, do they end the same way? Absolutely not. I think obviously fans are, are important, but I think, yeah, I think you're right. It's it, it's more a case of, of these big games and it can work both ways. Obviously, Manchester United is, is a difficult one. Going to Stamford Bridge is very different with fans compared to, to without. That will be an interesting one as well. And I suppose that's the, the only sort of doubt in my mind is that Liverpool have played 
two of their title games at home and not won either of them. It means that maybe they've got to go to, to Stamford Bridge and, and the Etihad and at least get a point from those games because that would match what those teams have done when they've come to Anfield. So that's maybe a slight doubt, but I suppose go and, and win on Sunday against Manchester United and maybe that doubt starts to, to go away. I think it does. I think, obviously, like I said, the fans are going to make a difference. And you're right, having the players back does help too. I mean, we could have a, a full stands, but if Virgil van Dijk's sitting in the stands, then yeah, I'm not as confident. But I think when it comes to the games like Stamford Bridge last season, before it all went wrong, we played very well away at Stamford Bridge. We've had a good few wins there over the years. We've had some good p- positive performances at the Etihad, even if we haven't had quite as many wins. At Old Trafford, though, James, uh, this will win last um, at the end of last season was the first at Old Trafford under the Klopp era. And I feel like too many times we've gone into this fixture playing the fixture rather than the actual 11 players on the pitch. And again, maybe that comes into mindset. Maybe that comes into being more adventurous, realising that, yes, this is a big game for a lot of reasons, but this isn't necessarily a big game team. A lot of the things we were saying before about the way those games go, it doesn't necessarily have to go this way. I mean, is it really that much different when you break it down to playing away at Leeds United? Ah, well, I mean, you know, I like, <laughs> you know, I like Leeds United. So, well, exactly. Uh, That's why I put uh, this one to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, I mean, yes, it, it is different. Like, um, realistically, it is very different still. Um, not least because just tactically, they're very different propositions. You look at how Ronaldo's changed United, how he basically just doesn't press at all for a full 90 minutes. Um, and Greenwood is quite low down on the uh, on the pressing per 90 sort of scale as well. So you're not looking at a team who are going to sort of hustle you high up the pitch in quite the same way as, as a Leeds. Um, you are looking more at just kind of, yeah, they, if they take a chance, they've got the quality and they'll they'll put it away so it's it's I know, I know the point you're trying to make in the sense that they, they, they're a different proposition to the rest mm-hmm. of the top four it's not that the tactical quality isn't there compared to particularly City and also Chelsea um so yeah there is there is an extent to which you can just play your own game and and try and play through them in the sense that in the same way you would with with teams not necessarily thought of in the same bracket as the top four um but no, I mean, there's. it's hard to say, really, in the sense that you, you look at Leicester, they kind of played their own way. The possession was fairly even and, and they got the result. But it it was just it just ended into chaos. It was one all until mm-hmm. sort of 15 minutes to go and then everything kicked off. And that's that's kind of that's kind of what Manchester United are this season. It's hard to it's hard to say how to approach it because they just have so much individual quality and so little tactical guidance it's just it's almost random like it's hard to know how to play against that in some ways so yeah the only thing Liverpool can do is just try and play their usual game and hope that you know Sancho doesn't do something mad Ronaldo doesn't do something crazy and but yeah as you say with with our record at Old Trafford you wouldn't put it past them. I think there's there's almost an argument the other way in that fans will be there and fans will want them to press against Liverpool they will be urging them to move forward, do something that they're not used to doing. And if suddenly Sancho, Ronaldo, whoever it is, is starting to press, they're not going to be as cohesive. They're not going to be as good at that pressing 
as what the other teams are. So it almost could work against them in that the crowd is going to be whipped up. They're going to be intense. They're going to try and, and be Liverpool or try and be Manchester City because that's what their fans want them to do. But I just don't think they can do that in the same way. You can't turn sort of pressing and intensity on and off. You either do it or you don't. And yeah. generally, they don't. And they just don't. <laughs> and when I say they're not pressing, they're not sitting back either. It's not like a tactical decision to sit no. in a low block. They're just, they're just they're vibing just out there. Yeah. <laughs> they're not really playing as a team. And I think you guys both kind of made a good point in conjunction in as much as I want us to go out there and be the dominant team, show them who they are and who we are. But the reality is, is that when you've got a dysfunctional team like that, you really have as good a chance doing what Leicester did, which is basically biding your time, playing your football and waiting for them to either capitulate or do something stupid. And in, like you said, Matt, in this game, they really can get inside their own heads. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we should just be the pragmatic team, just try to play our football and just wait for their mistakes. Yeah, and I suspect that that's probably the way that, that Jurgen Klopp will set up because he does tend, certainly in the first halves of these big games, to play it a little bit safer. Just sort of see, you know, how the crowd is, see if they start getting on people's backs, edge their way into it. But I do think there's there's a really strong argument that if Liverpool go for it, they're a better team and they should win. And it is a bit of a risk because Cristiano Ronaldo could score two goals on the counter-attack and suddenly you find yourself having to, to come from two down. But... I just think, you know, the, the way that Liverpool are playing, the confidence that they'll have, obviously by the time, um, you know, it comes to Sunday, we'll know how they've done against Atletico Madrid, which will be a huge test. But I just think that Liverpool are just better than Manchester United. They're better at, at being intense. If they can use the home crowd almost to their own advantage, it kind of makes sense to do that. I can understand why you wouldn't do that right from the beginning and you kind of just see how it is the first 15 minutes. But... I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks if if you do just sort of be cautious to begin with, it might give the crowd and the Manchester United players a bit of kind of momentum, and it can be quite hard to, to turn that around. Mm. So I'd be tempted to go for it and, and gamble a little bit and, and just say, look, we're better than they are, and go for it. But whether Jurgen Klopp does that, I'd be slightly surprised. See, I mean, I'm I'm sold. I was already sold to be fair, but I have a sneaking suspicion that you may be right in that Jurgen Klopp does look at these games very differently. I think there's a reason why we say he hasn't got the best record. He still hasn't lost a lot of these games. Most of them have ended up being draws, quite a few nil-nil draws. But the mighty Liverpool at the moment who have scored three goals every time they leave Anfield, I feel like that's less likely to happen this time. So... There you have it. We've discussed the big game, how much they matter, what we expect to see from Liverpool from them. How do you feel about this thing? Do you think that we should be going into these games to smash them? Do you think we can go away to Chelsea and to Manchester City and pick up results? Or do you think it doesn't really matter at all? Let us know in the comments. James, Matt, thank you as always. Everybody else, we'll see you next time.